Hello, welcome to my recording of the great, great audiobook of Where the Red Fern Grows by Wilson Rawls. If you like this book and you need stuff to do with the book, teachers, head on over to my Teacher Pay Teacher store. It's just SWN, uh, the S, the letter WN, uh, and you'll find a whole lot of stuff over there like Google Forms and questions that go along with this book as well. So enjoy the story. Chapter 15. Over a dim, rocky road in a northern, northeasterly direction, our buggy moved on. I noticed that the road stayed at the edge of the foothills, but always in sight of the river. About the middle of the afternoon, we stopped at a small stream to water the team. Papa asked Grandpa if he intended to go all the way to the campground before stopping. Now, he said, I figured to put up for the night when we reached the Bluebird Creek. With a good early start in the morning, we can make it to the campgrounds and plenty of time to pitch our tent and set up camp. Late that evening, we reached Bluebird Creek. We didn't set up our tent. With a tarp, we made a lean-to and built a large fire out in front of it. While Grandpa fed and watered the team, Papa and I carried our bedding to the shelter and made down our beds. Grandpa said, While we're cooking supper, you see to your dogs. Feed them and fix them a warm bed. I figured... To cook them some corn mush, cornmeal mush, I said. That's what they're used to eating. Mush, Grandpa growled. They're not going to eat have mush, not if I can help it. He walked over to the grocery box, mumbling as he did. Mush, uh, how can't hunt a belly full of that stuff? He came back and handed me two large cans of corned beef hash, saying, Yeah, reckon they'll eat this? I wanted to hug my old Grandpa's neck. Sure, Grandpa, I said. They'll love that. Opening one of the cans, I dumped it out in the piece of bark in front of old Dan. He sniffed at it and refused to eat. I laughed, for I knew why. While I was opening the other can, Grandpa came over. What's the matter? He, he won't eat it? Well, sure, Grandpa, I said. He'll eat, but not before little Ann gets her share. With a second can open, I fed her on another piece of bark. Both of them started eating at the same time. With an astonished look on his face, Grandpa exclaimed, Well, I'll be darned. I've never saw anything like that. Why, I never saw a hound that wouldn't eat. Did you train them to do that? No, Grandpa, I said. They've always been that way. They won't take anything away from each other, and everything they do, they do it as one. Papa had overheard our conversation. He said, You think that's strange? You should have seen what I saw one day. One of the girls threw two cold biscuits out in the backyard to old Dan. He stood and looked at them for a bit. Then picking both of them up in his mouth, he trotted around the house. I followed just to see what he was going to do. He walked up in front of the doghouse, laid them down, and growled. Not like he was mad. It was a strange kind of growl. Little Ann came out of the doghouse, and each of them ate a biscuit. Now, I saw this with my own eyes. Believe me, those dogs are close to each other, real close. After Papa had stopped talking, silence settled over the camp. Grandpa stood staring at my dogs. In a slow voice, as if he were picking his words, he said, You know, I've always felt like there was something strange about those dogs. I, I don't know just what it is. And I can't exactly put my finger on it, yet I can feel it. Maybe it's just my imagination. I don't rightly know. Turning to my father, he said, Did you ever notice the way they watch this boy? They see his every move he makes, Papa said. 
Yeah, I've, I've noticed a lot of things they've done. In fact, I can tell you a few that would you never believe. But right now, here's something you better believe. Supper's ready. While I was helping myself to hot Dutch oven cornbread and fried potatoes and corn, fresh side meat, Grandpa poured the coffee. Instead of two cups, I expected to see, he set out three and filled them to the brim with the strong black liquid. I'd never been allowed to drink coffee at home, and I didn't exactly know what to do. I glanced at Papa. He seemed too busy with his eating to pay any attention to me. So, taking the bull by the horns, I reached over and ran my finger through the cup's handle. I held my breath as I walked over and sat down to the post-oak stump. Nothing was said. Grandpa and Papa paid no attention to what I did. My head swelled up as big as a number four wash tub. I thought, huh, I'm not only big enough to help Papa with the farm, now I'm big enough to drink coffee. With supper over and the dishes washed, Grandpa said, Well, we'd better turn in as I want to get an early start in the morning. Long after Grandpa and Papa had fallen asleep, I lay thinking of the big hunt. My thoughts were interrupted when the wonders of night life began to stir in the silence around us. From a ridge on our right, a red fox started barking. and He was curious and in his small way challenging the intruders. They had dared to stop in his wild domain. From far back in the flinty hills, the monotonous call of a hoot owl floated down in the silent night. It was the mating call, and I answered from a distant mountain. I could hear the stamping feet of our horses and the grinding, crunching noise made by their strong teeth as they ate the hard yellow kernels of corn in their feed boxes. A nighthawk screamed as he winged his way through the starlit night. An eerie screech from a tree close by made shivers run up and down my spine. It was a screech owl. I didn't like to hear the small owl, for there was a superstition in the mountains concerning them. It was said that if you heard one owl, it meant nothing at all. If you heard more than one, it meant bad luck. I lay and listened to the eerie twittering sound. It was coming from the left of our camp. The creepy noise stopped, and for several moments there was silence. When next I heard the cry, it was coming from the right. I sat up in alarm. Had I heard two owls? My movement had awakened Grandpa. In a sleepy voice, he said, What's the matter? Can't you sleep? What are you sitting up like that for? Grandpa, I heard two screech owls, I said. Grunting and mumbling, he sat up, and rubbing the sleep from his eyes, he said, You heard two screech owls? Why, that's nothing. I've heard two. Oh, I, oh, I see. You're thinking of that bad luck superstition. There's nothing to that, nothing at all. Now you lie down and go to sleep. Tomorrow's going to be a big day. I tried hard to fall asleep, but couldn't. I couldn't get the owls out of my mind. Had I really heard two? Were we going to have bad luck? Surely nothing bad could happen, not on such a wonderful hunt. I found peace in my mind by telling myself that the owl had changed trees. Yeah, that was it. He had just simply flown out of one tree to another. The next morning, while having breakfast, Grandpa started kidding me without the screech owl, about the screech owls. I wish you could have... You had caught one of those owls last night. We could have boiled him for coffee pot. I've heard there's nothing like strong hoot owl coffee. It wasn't a hoot owl, Grandpa. I said it was a screech owl. I don't know for sure if I had heard one or two. It could have just been one, pointing to a small red oak, I said. I, I think the first one, I heard him, he, he was over there. The next time it was over in that direction. Maybe that he changed trees. I sure hope so. Grandpa saw I was bothered. You don't believe that hogwash superstition, do you? Bad luck. Pah! <laughs> There's nothing to it, Papa laughed and said. You know, these mountains are full of all that crazy jinx stuff. Yeah, if a man believed it all, he'd just go crazy. Encouraging words from Papa and Grandpa helped some, but there was still some doubt. 
It's hard for a young boy to completely forget things like that. With breakfast over and our gear stowed back in the buggy, we left for Bird, Bluebird Creek. On that day, Grandpa drove a little faster than he had on the previous one. I was glad of this, for I was anxious to reach the campground. About noon, he stopped the team. I heard him ask Papa, Is that Black Fox, Holly? Nah, Papa said. This is Waterfall. Black Fox is the next one over. Why? Well, Grandpa said, There's supposed to be a white flag in the mouth of Blue Black Fox. That's where we leave the road. The camp is in the river bottoms. By this time, I was so excited, I stood up in the buggy box so I could get a better view. Maybe you ought to step them up a little, Grandpa. I said, it's getting pretty late. Papa joined in with his loud laughter. <laughs> you just take it easy, he said. We'll get there in plenty of time. Besides, if these mares can't fly. I saw the flag first. There it is, Grandpa, I shouted. Where? he asked. Over there. See, tied on that grapevine? As we left the main road, I heard Papa say, Boy, look at all those tracks. Sure there's been a lot of traveling on this road. That smoke over there must be coming from the camps, Grandpa said. When we came inside of the camp, I couldn't believe what I saw. I stared in amazement. I had never seen so many people at one gathering. Tents were spread out all over an acre and a half of ground. All colors, shapes, and sizes. There were odd-looking cars, buggies, and wagons, and saddle horses. I heard Grandpa say almost in a whisper, I knew that there would be a lot of people here, but I never expected so many. I saw the astonished look on my father's face. Off to one side of the camp, under a large black gum tree, we set up our tent. I tied my dogs to the buggy and fixed a nice bed for them under it. After everything was taken care of, I asked if I could look around the camp. Yeah, Grandpa said, go any place you want to go, only don't get in anyone's way. I started walking through the large camp. Everyone was friendly, and once I heard a voice say, That's the boy who owns the two little red hounds. I've heard they're pretty good. If my head had gotten, gotten any bigger, I'd know it would have burst. I walked on as straight as a canebrake came. I looked at the hounds. They were tied in pairs here and there. I had seen many coon hounds, but none that could equal these. The, there were red bones, blue ticks, walkers, and bloodhounds. I marveled at their beauty. All were spotlessly clean, with slick and glossy coats. I saw the beautiful leather leashes and the brass-studded collars. I thought of my dogs. They were tied with small cotton ropes and had collars made from old check-line leather. As I passed from one set of dogs to another, I couldn't help but wonder if I had a chance to win. I knew that in the veins of these hounds flowed the purest of breeded blood. No finer coon hounds could be found anywhere. They came from the Smoky Mountains of Tennessee, the Bayou Country of Louisiana, the Red River Bottoms of Texas, and the Flinty Hills of the Ozarks. Walking back through the camp, I could feel the cold fingers of doubt squeezing my heart. One look at my dogs drove all doubt away. In the eyes of the little Ann, it seemed I could read this message. Don't you worry. Just wait. We'll shove them. That night, Grandpa said, Tomorrow they'll have a contest for the best-looking hound. Which one are you going to enter? <clears throat> I told him I didn't think I'd enter either one of my dogs. They were so little. I didn't think they had a chance. Grandpa got all huffed up. He said, It doesn't make any difference how little they are. The coon hounds, aren't they? I asked him if he had seen any of the other hounds. He said, Yes, I've seen them all. Sure, they're big and good dogs, too, but it makes no difference. I don't care if your dogs are no bigger than a snuff can. They still have a chance. Now, which one are you going to enter? I couldn't decide. I said, I, I think I'll think it over tonight and let you know tomorrow. The next morning when I stepped outside the tent, I saw men everywhere. They were combing and brushing the dogs and getting them pruned for beauty contest. 
Beautiful combs and brushes were used to brush expensive oils into their glossy hair. Going over to my dogs, I stood and looked at them. And I started to untie old Dan, but taking a closer look at him, I could see he could never win a beauty contest. His face and ears were a mass of old scars caused from the many fights with tough old coons and bobcats. I held his hand, head in my hands and felt sorry for him, but loved him just that much more. I looked little Ann over and I couldn't see any scars. I laughed because I knew why. She was too smart to walk right up in the face of a fight. She'd wait until old Dan took hold and then dart in. I untied a rope and walked her over to our tent. My father and grandfather were gone, and no doubt they were over in some tent visiting old friends and making new ones. Looking around to find something I could use to groom my dog, I saw Grandpa's open suitcase. There right on top was the very thing I needed. His beautiful bone-handled hairbrush and his ivory comb. Picking them up, I turned them over and over in my hand. Little Anne still looking at me, impulsively I reached down and raked her from shoulder to hip with the brush. She seemed to like it. I, I knew I shouldn't do it, but I decided to use them. Knowing I had no oils, I got some butter from our grocery box. With the homemade butter and Grandpa's hair set, I brushed her until she shone. All the time I was grooming her, she tried to lick the butter from my hands. The job completed, I stepped back and inspected her. <clears throat> I was surprised at the change. Her short red hair glistened and everyone was in perfect place. Shaking my finger, I said, Now if you lay down and roll, I'll wear you out. Although I knew I wouldn't. Hearing a lot of movement outside, I looked out. The men were setting their dogs on a long table, which had been built in the center of the campground. Leading a little Ann to it, I picked her up and set her on the table, too. I told her to act like a lady. She wagged her tail as though she understood. I untied the rope and stepped back. After the dogs were all lined up, the judging started. Four judges walked around and around the table, looking at them from all angles. When one of them would point at a hound, he was taken down and eliminated from the contest. Dog after dog was disqualified. Little Ann was still on the table. My eyes were wide, my throat dry, and my heart thumping. One judge stopped in front of little Ann. My heart stopped, too. Reaching over, he patted her on the head. Turning to me, he asked, Is this your dog? I couldn't speak. I just nodded my head. He said, She's a beautiful hound. He walked on down the line. My heart started beating again. There were eight dogs left. Little Ann was still holding her own. Then there were four. I was ready to cry. Two more were taken down. Little Ann and a big walker hound owned by Mr. Kyle were the only ones left. The judges couldn't seem to make up their minds. Everyone started shouting, Walk them! Walk them! I, I didn't know what they meant. Mr. Kyle and I were told to go to one end of the table. <clears throat> Our dogs were placed at the other end. Mr. Kyle snapped his fingers and called to his dog. The big hound started walking toward his master. What a beautiful sight it was. He walked like a king. His body was stiff and straight, his head high in the air. His large muscles quivered and jerked under his glossy coat, but something went wrong. Just before he reached the end... He broke his stride, turned, and jumped down from the table. A low murmur ran through the crowd. It was my turn. Three times I tried to call to little Ann. Words just wouldn't come out. My throat was too dry. The vocal cords refused to work, but I could snap my fingers. Well, that was all I needed. She, she started toward me. I held my breath, and there was silence all around me. As graceful as any queen, with her head high in the air and her long red tail arched in a perfect rainbow, my little dog walked down the table. With her warm gray eyes staring straight at me, on she came. Walking up to me, she laid her head on my shoulder. As I put my arms around her, the crowd exploded. And during the commotion, I felt hands slapping me on the back, and I heard the word congratulations time after time. The head judge came over and made a speech. Handing me a small silver cup, he said. 
Congratulations, son. It was justly won. The tears came rolling. I gathered my dog up in my arms and walked to our tent. Grandpa followed, proudly carrying the cup. That evening, the head judge stepped up on the table. He had a small box in his hand, and he shouted, Over here, men! I have some announcements to make. We all gathered around. In a loud voice, he said, Gentlemen, the contest will start tonight. I'm sure most of you men have been in these hunts before. For those of you who haven't, I will explain the rules. Each night, five sets of dogs will be taken out to hunt. A judge will go along with each pair of hounds, and every morning the judges will turn in the night's catch. The two hounds that tree the most coons will qualify for the championship runoff. The other four sets will be eliminated from the hunt. Now, of course, if there is a tie, both sets will qualify. On the following nights, only those hounds tying the first night's score, or getting more, will be in the runoff. Now, gentlemen, this hunt must be carried out in a sportsmanlike way. If the coon is treed where he can't be caught, such as in a bluff, it will not be counted. You must catch the coon, skin it, and turn the hide over to your judge. You're allowed to take an axe, a lantern, and a gun with birdshot, which you can use to get the coon out of a tree. Twenty-five sets of hounds have been entered in the hunt. In this box, I have twenty-five cards. Everyone in the contest will now line up for the drawing. The cards you draw will tell you what night your hounds are to hunt. Walking along in the line, I noticed the beautiful red coats, the caps, and the soft leather boots worn by the other hunters. I felt out of place in my faded blue overalls. Old sheepskin coat, scruffed and worn shoes, but the, to the wonderful men it made no difference. They treated me like a man and even talked to me like a man. When it came to my time to draw, my hand was shaking so hard I could hardly get it out of the box. Pulling the card out, I saw I had drawn the fourth night. After the hunters had left, we stood around our campfires sipping strong black coffee and listening to the baying of hounds. Time after time, we heard the tree bark. Once, two hounds came close to the camp, hot on a trail, and we listened to their steady bawling. All at once, they stopped. After several minutes of waiting, a hunter said, You know what? That old coon took to the river and in some way has fooled those dogs. Another one said, Yes, sir, he sure has. A friendly hunter looked at me and asked, Do you think he could have fooled your dogs? Thinking his question over, I said, you know, sometimes when I'm hunting, away back in the mountains on down the river, I sing a little song I made up myself, and one of the verses goes like this. You can swim the river, old Mr. Ringtail, and play your tricks out one by one. It won't do any good, old Mr. Ringtail. My little Ann knows every one. The hunters roared with laughter. Some slapped me on the back. Tired and sleepy, but with a smile on my face, I went off to bed. The next morning, two blue tick hounds from the Smoky Mountains of Tennessee came out in the lead with three big coons to their credit. The other four sets were eliminated. The following morning, all five sets of dogs were eliminated. None had even tied the blue ticks, although two sets had gotten two coons and one of these had treed a third on one of the bluff. That day, while eating dinner, my grandfather asked me if my dogs had ever treed three coons in one night. I said, yes, four different times, but that's all. Where do you think we should hunt on our night? Papa asked. I told him if we get our judge to go with us in the buggy, we would be better off if we could go far down river and get out of the range where the other dogs had hunted. He said, that's a good idea. I'll go to see if the judge is about it. While I was washing the dishes, Grandpa said, I think I'll shave. I, shouldn't have left the, I should have left the tent then, but I wasn't done with my dishwashing. With a pen, Grandpa hung a small mirror on the tent wall. After much snorting and mumbling and screwing of his face this way and that, the job was completed. Dabbing a little water on his iron-gray hair, he reached for his brush and comb. 
and from the corner of my eye I watched him. I had tried to clean the beautiful brush, but hadn't been able to get all the short red hair from it. With two fingers, Grandpa pulled some of the hair from the bristles. Holding it in front of him, he looked at it over carefully, then bending over close to the mirror, peeking over his glass as he inspected his head. Straightening up, he looked at the brush again. Turning around quickly, he looked straight at me and said, Say, young... Not waiting for anything more, I scooted for the door. Crawling under the buggy, I lay down between my dogs. I knew he wouldn't be mad at me, but it would probably be best to stay away for a while. The third night, the blue ticks were tied by two black and tan hounds from the bayou country of Louisiana. All that day, I was restless. I prowled through the camp. Every little while, I would go and see how old Dan and little Ann were. Once I took two weenies from our groceries, I heated them and gave them to my dogs for a treat. Old Dan swallowed his down in one gulp and looked at me as if to say, Is that all? Little Ann ate hers in the ladylike way. I could have sworn I saw a small grin on his face. Grandpa was hopping around like a grasshopper going here and there. Once passing a tent, I heard his voice. I knew he was bragging about my dogs. I smiled to myself. Another hunter stopped me and asked, Is it true that your hounds have treed six coons in one night? Three up in one tree? Where's that old man just blowing off steam? I told him my grandfather had a little steam, but he was the best grandpa boy ever had. He patted me on the head, turned, and walked away laughing. Chapter 16 In the afternoon, our judge came over and introduced himself. He told us he'd be going with us that night. About sundown, we piled in our buggy and drove a few miles downriver. I noticed other hunters doing the same thing. Everyone was trying to get away from the already hunted territory. It was dark by the time Grandpa stopped. I untied the ropes from my dogs, and little Ann reared up on me and whined. Old Dan walked off a few yards, stretched his body, and dragged his claws through the soft bottom soil. Opening his mouth, he let out one loud bawl and then disappeared in the thick timber. Little Ann was right on his heels. We took off after them. Grandpa got nervous. He said to me, Do you think that they ought to whoop to them? <clears throat> I told him to wait a little while. There would always be plenty of time for whooping. He snorted and said he thought a hunter always whooped to his dogs. Well, I do, Grandpa, I said, but not before they strike a trail. We walked on. Every now and then, we would stop and listen. I could hear and the loud snuffing of old Dan, and once he, we caught a glimpse, glimpse of little Ann as, he dart, <coughs> as she darted across an opening that was bathed in moonlight. She was as silent as a ghost and as quick as a flitting shadow. Papa said, Sure is a beautiful night hunting, the judge said. You can't beat these Ozark Mountain nights for beauty. I don't care where you go. Grandpa started to say something. His voice was drowned out by the bell-like cry of little Ann. In a whisper, I said, Come on, Dan, hurry up and help her. <clears throat> As if an answer to my words, his deep voice hammered its way through the river bottoms. I felt the blood tingling into my veins. That wonderful feeling that only a hunter knows crept over my body. Looking over at Grandpa, I said, Now you can whoop. 
and jerking off his cap and throwing back his head, he let out a yell. It wasn't a whoop or a screech, it was about halfway in between, everyone laughed. The coon was running up river toward our campground. We turned and followed. I could tell by the dog's voices that they were running side by side and were hot on a trail. <clears throat> Closing my eyes, I could almost see the, the them running bodies stretched to their fullest length, legs pounding up and down, white steam rolling off their hot breath in the frosty night. Grandpa got tangled up in some underbrush and lost his hat and spectacles. It took us a while to find the glasses. Grandpa said something about getting them wired on with bailing wire. Grandpa snorted and the judge laughed. <clears throat> the coon crossed the river and ran upstream. Soon my dogs were out of hearing distance. I told Papa we had better stay on our side of the river and keep going until we could hear them again. Twenty minutes later, we heard them coming back. We stopped. I think they've crossed back to our side, I said. All at once, the voices of my dogs were drowned out by a loud roar. What in the world was that? Grandpa said. I don't know, said the judge. Reckon it was wind or thunder? About that time, we heard it again. <clears throat> the judge started laughing. I know now what it is, he said. Those hounds have run that coon right back by our camp. The noise we heard was the other hunters whooping to them. Everyone laughed. A few minutes later, I heard my dogs bawling treed. On reaching the tree, Papa ran his hand back under his coat. He pulled out Grandpa's gun. <clears throat> That's a funny-looking gun, the judge said. It's a 410-gauge pistol, isn't it? It's the very thing for this kind of work, Papa said. You couldn't kill a coon with it if you tried, especially if you're using birdshot. All it will do is sting his hide a little. At the crack of the gun, the coon gave a loud squall and jumped. My dogs lost no time in killing him. We skinned the coon and soon were on our way again. The next time we f my dogs treed, <clears throat> they were across the river from us. Finding a riffle, we pulled off our shoes and started across. Grandpa very gingerly started picking his way as tender old feet moved from one smooth rock to another. Everything was fine until we reached the midstream where the current was much swifter. We stepped on a loose rock round and it rolled and down he went. As the cold river water touched his body, he let out a yell <clears throat> that could have been heard for miles. He looked so funny that we couldn't keep from laughing. Papa and the judge helped him to his feet. <clears throat> Laughing every step of the way, we finally reached to the other side. Grandpa kept going on, going in his wet clothes until we reached the tree where the dogs were. After killing the coon, we built a large fire so Grandpa could dry his clothes. He'd get up as close to the fire as he could and turn this way and that. He looked so funny standing there with his long underwear steaming. I started rolling with laughter. He looked over at me and snapped. What's so funny? I said, nothing. Well, why are you laughing? He said. At this remark, Papa and the judge laughed until their eyes watered. Mumbling and grumbling, Grandpa said, If you fellows were as cold as I am, you wouldn't be laughing. We knew we shouldn't be laughing, but we couldn't help ourselves. The judge looked at his watch. It's after three o'clock, he said. Do you think they'll tree another one? As if to throw the words back in my judge's face, as old Dan opened up. I stood up and whooped. Woo-wee! Get him, Dan! Get him! Put him up a little tree. There was a mad scramble. Grandpa tried to put his bridges on backwards. The judge and Papa ran over to help him with his shoes. Each one tried to put a shoe on the wrong foot. I was laughing so hard I could do nothing. A hundred yards from the fire, I realized we had forgotten the coonskins. I ran back for them. My dogs had jumped the tree in Swampland. He tore out of the river bottoms. I could tell that they were close to him by their fast bawling. All at once, their bangs stopped. 
We stood still and listened. Old Dan bawled treed a few more times and then stopped. Grandpa asked, What happened? I told him the coon had probably pulled some kind of trick. Coming up to my dogs, we saw they were working up and down an old rail fence. We stood and watched, and every now and then old Dan would rear up on a large hackberry tree that was standing about seven feet from the fence and bald treed. As little Ann had not bawled the tree bark, we watched her. <clears throat> she was working everywhere. She climbed up the rail fence and followed its zigzag course until she disappeared in the darkness. I told Papa I was sure that the coon had walked the rail fence and in some way had fooled my dogs. Old Dan would keep coming back to the hackberry tree. He would rear up on it and <clears throat> bawl treed. We walked up to him, looking to the looking the tree over, we could see that the coon wasn't in it. The judge said, Well, it looks like he is, has them fooled. Maybe you had better call them off, Grandpa said. We can go, go someplace else and hunt. We've got to get one more coon, even if I have to treat it myself. For some reason, no one laughed at this remark. It's almost daylight, Papa said. Yeah, that's what's got me worried, I said. We don't have time to do anything any more hunting. If we lose this one, we're beat. Hearing the word B, Grandpa began to fidget. He asked me, What do you think happened? How did that coon fool them? I don't know for sure. He walked to the rail fence. The hackberry tree was has something to do with his trick, but I don't know what. Well, son, the judge said, I wouldn't feel too badly if I were you. I've seen some of the very best hounds fooled by a smart old coon. Regardless of all the discouraging talk, <clears throat> the love and belief I had in my little hounds never faltered. I could see them now and then, leaping over old logs and tearing through underbrush, sniffing and searching for the lost trail. My heart swelled with pride. I whooped, urging them on. In a low voice, the judge said, I'll say one thing, they don't give up easily. Birds began to chirp all around us. The sky took on a light gray collar, and tiny dim stars were blinking the light night, night light away. <clears throat> it looks like we're beat, Papa said. It's getting daylight. At that moment, the loud, clear voice of the red-boned hound, bawling treed, rang through the river bottoms. It was the voice of Little Ann. Sucking in a mouthful of air, I held it, and I could feel my heart pounding against my ribs. I closed my eyes tight and gritted my teeth to keep the tears from coming. Let's go to them, Grandpa said. No, wait a minute, I said. Why? he asked. Wait till old Dan gets there, I said. It's daylight now, and if we walk up to that tree, the coon will jump out. It's hard to keep a coon in a tree after daylight. Let's wait until old Dan gets there. Then, if he jumps, he won't have a chance to get away. The boy's right, the judge said. It's hard to keep a coon in a tree, a tree after daybreak. Just then we heard old Dan. <clears throat> His deep voice shattered the morning silence. Searching for the lost trail, he had crossed the fence and worked his way out into an old field. Turning around, and we saw him coming. <clears throat> it was a red blur in the gray morning shadows. Coming to the rail fence and breaking, without breaking his stride, he raised his butt into the air about halfway over, and while still in the air, he bawled. Hitting the ground with a loud grunt, he ran past us. Everyone whooped to him. Ahead was a deep washout about ten feet wide, and on the other side was a cane break. His long red body stretched to its fullest length, seemed to float in the air as if he had sailed over it. We could hear the tall stalks rattling as he plowed his way through them. A bunch of sleepy snowbirds rose from the thick cane, flitted over, and settled in a row on the rail fence. Nearing the tree, <clears throat> we could see it was a tall sycamore, and there high in the top was the coon. Grandpa threw a fit. He hopped up around, whooping and hollering. He threw his old hat down on the ground and jumped up and down on it. Then he ran over and kissed little Ann right on the head. And after we killed and skinned the coon, the judge said, Let's walk back to that old fence. I think I know how the old fellow pulled his trick. 
Back at the fence, the judge stood and looked around for a few minutes. Smiling, he said, Yes, that's how he did it. Well, how? Grandpa asked. Still smiling, the judge said, That old coon walked this rail fence. Coming even with the hackberry tree, he leaped up on its side and climbed up. Notice how the thick the timber is around here. You see that limb way up there in the top, the one that runs over and almost touches the sycamore? We saw what he meant. The coon walked out on that limb, he said, leaped over and caught the sycamore limb. Repeating this over and over from tree to tree, he worked his way far out into the river bottoms. <clears throat> what I can't figure out is how that hound found him. Gazing at little Ann, he shook his head and said, you know, I've been hunting coons and judging coon hunts for 40 years, but I've never seen anything like that. He looked at me. Well, son, he said, you've tied the leading teams. There's only one more night of eliminations. Even if some of them get more than three coons, you'll still be in the runoff. And from what I've seen here tonight, you have a good chance of winning this cup. I knew that little Ann had scented the coon in the air, the same as she had the goose ghost coon. I walked over and knelt down beside her. The things I wanted to say to her I couldn't for the knot in my throat, but I'm sure she understood. <clears throat> and she came into the campground. The hunters came out of their tents and gathered around us. The judge held up the three big coon hides. There was a roar from the crowd. One man said, That was the most beautiful sight I'd ever seen. What was a beautiful sight? <clears throat> Grandpa asked. Well, last night, those little red hounds... Brought that coon right through camp, the judge said. We figured they did when we heard the noise. Laughing, the man said, <laughs> Well, we heard them when they ran up to the other side of the river. Way up above here, they crossed over. And we could tell they were coming back, so we doused all the fires. And sure enough, they came right through the camp. Those two little hounds weren't 50 yards behind, around, behind that coon, running side by side. And boy, they were picking them up and laying them down. And bawling every time their feet touched the ground. I tell you... It was the prettiest sight I ever saw. When the judge started telling about the last coon little Anna treat, I took my dogs over to our tent and fed and watered them. After they had had their fill, I gave them a good rub down with a piece of gunny sack. Taking them out to the buggy, I tied them up. I stood and watched while they twisted around in the hay, making their bed. That day, I tried to get some sleep in our tent, but the soaking Grandpa had taken in the river had given him a cold, causing him to snore. I never heard such a racket in all my life. I, sw I had sworn he'd rattled the paper sacks in the grocery boxes. Taking a blanket, I went out to my dogs. Little Ann had wiggled up as close to old Dan as she could. Prying them apart, I lay down between them and fell asleep. The last night of illuminations turned out more like the second night. None of the judges turned in more than two hides. That day about noon, the owners of the other t winning teams and I called for a conference with the head judge. He said, Gentlemen... The eliminations are over. Only three sets of hounds are left for the runoff. The winner of tonight's hunt will receive the gold cup. And if there is a tie for the championship, well, naturally, there will be another runoff. <clears throat> he shook hands with each of us and wished us good luck. Tension began to build in, up in the camp. Here and there, hunters were standing in small groups, talking. Others could be seen going in and out of tents with rolls of money in their hands. And Grandpa was the busiest one of them all. His voice could be heard all over the camp. Men were looking at me and talking in low tones. I strutted like a turkey gobbler. And that evening, while we were having supper, a hunter dropped by. He had a small box in his hands, and smiling, he said, Well, everyone has agreed that we should have a jackpot for the winter, and I've been picked to do the collecting. Grandpa said, Well, you may as well just leave it here now. Looking at me, the hunter said, Son, 
I think almost every man in this camp is hoping that you win it. But it's not going to be easy. You're going up against four of the finest hounds there are. Turning to my father, he said, Did you know the two big walker hounds have won four gold cups? Very seriously, Papa said. You know, I have two mules down in my place. One is almost as big as a barn. And the other one isn't much bigger than a jackrabbit. But that little mule can outpull the big one every time. Smiling, the hunter turned to leave and he said, You could be right. Papa asked me again where I thought we should start hunting. I've been thinking about this all day. I said, You remember where we jumped the last coon in the swamp? Papa said, Yeah. Well, the way I figure, more than one coon lives in that swamp. I said, It's a good place for them. There's lots of crawfish and minnows in those potholes. If a hound jumps one there, he has a good chance to tree him. Papa asked, Why? It's a long way back to the river and about the same distance to the mountains. Either way, he runs. A dog can get pretty close to him, and so he would have to take to a tree. That evening, we climbed into Grandpa's buggy and headed for the swamp. It was dark by the time we reached it. Grandpa handed Papa his gun, saying, You're going to get going to be a pretty good shot with this thing. <clears throat> I hope I get to shoot it a lot tonight, Papa said. Under my breath, I said, I do too. After untying the ropes from my dogs, I held onto their collars for a minute. Pulling them up close, I knelt down and whispered, This is the last night. I know you'll do your best. They seemed to understand and tugged at their collars. When I turned them loose, they started for the timber. Just as they reached the dark shadows, they stopped, turned around, and stared straight at me for an instant. The judge saw their strange actions, and laying a hand on my shoulder, he asked, What do they say, son? I said, well, nothing that anyone could understand, but I can feel that they know this hunt is important. They know it just as well as you or I. It was little Ann who found the trail. Before the echo of her sharp cry died away, old Dan's deep voice floated out of the swamp. Well, let's go, Papa said. Now, now just wait a, let's wait a minute, I said. Wait? Why? Grandpa asked. To see which way he's going to run, I said. The coon broke out of the swamp and headed for the river. Listening to my dogs, I could tell they were close to him. I said to Papa, I don't think he'll ever make it to the river. They're right on his heels now. And by the time we'd circled the swamp, they were bawling treed, the judge said. Boy, that was fast! <clears throat> I felt my father's hand on my shoulder. Looking at me, he smiled and nodded his head. Papa and, Papa and I knew I had judged the coon perfectly. He didn't have to time to reach the river or the mountains. My dogs had treed the coon in a tall ash, which stood about 50 yards from the river, and I knew the 50 yards had saved us a good hour because he could have pulled a trick after trick if he'd gotten into the water. We spied the coon in the topmost branches. At the crack of the gun, he ran far out on the limb and jumped. He landed in an old fallen treetop. He scooted through it, clunk, Coming out of the other side, he ran for the river. The tangled mass of limbs slowed my dogs, and they all but tore the treetop apart, getting out, getting out of it. The coon was just one step ahead of him as they reached the river. We heard them hit the water. Running over, we stood and watched the fight. The coon was at home in the river. He crawled up on old Dan's head, trying to force him under. And before he could do it, little Ann reached up and pulled him off. In a scared voice, Papa said, Hey, that water looks deep to me. Maybe you had better call them off, said the judge. That's a big coon, and he could drown one of them easily in that deep water. Cut them off? Why, you couldn't whip them off with a stick. There's no use for anyone to get scared. They know exactly what they're doing. 
I've seen this more times than one. Grandpa was scared and excited. He was jumping up and down, whooping and hollering. Papa raised the gun to aim. I jumped and grabbed his arm. Don't do that! You're sure to hit one of the dogs! Round and round in the deep water, the fight went on. The coon climbed on old Dan's head and sank his teeth in one of his long tender ears. Old Dan bawled with pain. Little Anne swam in and caught one of the coon's hind legs in her mouth. She tried hard to pull him off. All three disappeared under the water. I held my breath. The water churned and boiled. All three came to the top about the same time. The coon was between the bank we were standing on and my dogs. We swam toward us. They caught him again just as he reached the shore. He fought this his way free and ran for the large sycamore. Old Dan caught him just as he started up. <clears throat> I knew that was the end of the fight. After it was all over and the coon had been skinned, Grandpa said, I hope we don't have to go through that again tonight. For a while, I sure thought your dogs were goners. The judge said, Well, <laughs> have you ever seen that? Look over there. Old Dan was standing perfectly still with his eyes closed and head hanging down. Little Ann was licking at his cut and bleeding ears. She always does that, I said. If you watch, when she gets done with him, he'll do the same for her. We stood and watched until they had finished doctoring each other. Then, trotting side by side, they disappeared in the darkness. We followed along, stopping now and then to listen.